welcome everybody. Uh, very, very excited for this year. Um, why the song Ayala, other than it's just gorgeous? Uh, the Hebrew words uh, for this mystical imagery of a uh, of an of an Ayala up in the mountains somewhere, looking for this hidden well. And the uh, subtitle of tonight's shir, which occurred to me when I finally finished looking over my notes, is this. Paragallus is a story about what I'd like to call hidden relevance. What do I mean by hidden relevance? Um, so in 1969, um, Yeshiva University sent uh, Joseph Telushkin and myself to Seattle, Washington. Uh, it was part of our uh, trip to the, uh, to the American West. Uh, and we were supposed to be we were captains, co-captains of the debating team. And there was a national debate topic. Uh, and when we got to Seattle, uh, the four shuls that brought us in said, um, no, 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 we don't want you debating uh, the University of Washington on the national debate topic. What we really want is you to uh, debate uh, two of the rabbis in town on the matter of the relevance of halacha. So in 1969, you know, it was strange times, you know, everybody's asking all kinds of questions. And I looked at Joseph, and I said, the relevance of halacha, and anybody who knows anything but Joseph Telushkin, he can speak about anything for several hours without reading a book, because he spent all his time in high school and in college locked up in his room reading. Um, so uh, it, was, it was quite an interesting uh, uh, debate topic. And the reason I'm so excited to begin Yishayahu is not just because of the gorgeous text. Uh, there's a hidden relevance to Yeshayahu. And the relevance is so powerful for our time that it, it brings one to tears. <laughs> Start crying because this will go well. Hello? Help? Oh, here we go. Okay. So. What's the hidden relevance of Yeshayahu? Uh, as we start Perak Aleph, um, hopefully that will become more clear. Uh, the question that begs itself right at the start is if Yeshayahu is truly one of the greatest Nevi'im of all time, and he starts out with this very famous beginning, Chazon Yeshayahu ben Amotz, Asher Chazal Yudav Yilchshalayim Bimeu Ziyahu Yotam Achazich. And then he says, this was moving fine before. Well. Oh, okay. So the first thing that we noticed about the text is that the words Hazinu and Shamayim are very familiar to us. Of course, in Parshat Hazinu, where Avihanavim, Moshe Rabbeinu, spoke about Shamayim and Aretz. And we notice here that 
Yeshayahu has it inverted. And instead of Hazino Hashamayim, he starts out Shimu Shamayim. So what is it about Moshe and Yeshayahu? Moshe is the absolute reluctant Navi. Uh, you don't need a shear for me to know about the great dispute between Moshe and HaKadosh Baruch Hu when HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants to send Moshe to Mitzrayim and redeem the Jewish people. Yeshayahu, on the other hand, and here's where you start appreciating the subtlety of the text, which is, aside from the issue of relevance, just so tenderly exquisite. One of the things that we're going to talk about is the, uh, where does Yeshayahu begin? So don't be too surprised right now if I jump to Perak Vav and then back to Perak Aleph, and yet there's another choice for where it might begin as well, but I'm getting ahead of myself. So uh, Yeshayahu is up in Shemayim, and uh, the heavenly court is all meeting. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu asks, This is Perik Vav. I'm sorry, this is, this is Pasuk Chet. Eighth Pasuk in the sixth chapter of Yeshayahu. So what's interesting about this is two points. One is the one that I already opened for you, which is the amazing idea that rather than Moshe, God has to fight him to death, literally, to get him to go. Uh, here's Yeshayahu going, okay, me, me, send me, send me. But the Hebrew... Uh, the text is it's it, the the verb is conjugated in a very strange word, way, shelachani, which means that he was already sent. So, if we can manage our tools here. We're heading to the very important Hagdama, or the introduction of the Radak to Sefer Yishayahu. So, I'll read this through quickly, uh, is first to get to the point that's highlighted. This is, this is actually sort of in the middle of the Radak's introduction. He says, It seems entirely possible, seems probable to the Radak, that uh, Yeshayahu actually began uh, his nevuah at the beginning of uh, the reign of Uziyahu Amela. This is Uziyahu, uh, one needs to remember the song, This is Jewish power, everything is great. These are great times, if comparable to Shlomo's times, if not better. And the Radak says, Ben Amot's Hanavi. So, in citing Divrei Hayamim, uh, the Radak says, well, we know from there that Uziyahu uh, began speaking sometime, uh, that Yishayahu began prophesizing 
sometime during the, the reign of Uziyahu. And here's the line that I, I brought us to. So what Radak is trying to do is trying to contextualize the prophecy of Yeshayahu for, for us. And he says something that's both exciting and depressing at the same time, which is about what the Sefer is. Ki haya amos, the Jews, God sent, remember what we read, God's <coughs> meeting with his heavenly court, and he's asking, who shall we send? Well, why is God asking, who shall we send? Well, says the Radak, because he already sent Amos, and he sent Zechariah Hamidin, Biyarat Elokim, Vahayah Hoshea ben Be'iri, God willing, when we get to Treasar, Hoshea ben Be'iri is such a powerful, he's the jackhammer of Nevi'im, who can I send that's going to be able to get through to these to my people? I sent them all kinds of prophets, and nothing has worked. And here's the punchline. Talk about a second coming. This is the second time around for Yeshayahu, as we read in Perikvav. In other words, Yeshayahu has been around, according to the Radak, with some of the other Nevi'im. He's maybe uh, had his chance to inter- intermingle and to try and speak with the people. And uh, by the time we get to Perikvav, it's very obvious that Yeshayahu himself has not been successful. So, who is Yeshayahu Hanavi? And when did he actually begin his career? To, to end the suspense that I began earlier, there are at least three different versions of where this book begins. One is Perak Aleph, where we will begin tonight, Amir Tashem, or that we've actually began, begun. Um, the second is that it's Perak Vav, which uh, the Israeli teachers of Tanakh, uh, as Mora Barber knows, likes to call it the, uh, and Judy, I'm sure you've heard this before, call it the Perikhak Dasha, where uh, he's actually uh, knighted, so to speak, or he's given the mantle of, uh, of the prophecy. And then there's Raviol Ben Nun, uh, who uh, worked very hard uh, to point out that if you start learning Yeshayahu and Perik Aleph, uh, you'll get completely lost because the entire story is in Perik Aleph. All the Sefer is in Perik Aleph. And he has a very logical explanation about whether the best place to start Yeshayahu is Perik Bet. So if we're talking about hidden relevance, I mean, everything is hidden from the start. Uh, so who is Yeshayahu Ben Amotz, to start from where we start? Uh, well, his name is Ben Amotz. Uh, from the Gemara and Megillah, we know uh, that uh, his father, Amotz, uh, was in fact a Navi. How do we know this? Well, because uh, the, in Divrei HaYomim, we have Yishelokim Ba'elav, this is Amatzia HaMelech. So Amotz and Amatzia, the king and the prophet, are brothers. One of the unanswered questions that I've been carrying with me for about 20 years is imagining what the relationship between the king Amatzia, who we learned about just a couple of weeks ago, who completely went to seed, after amazing beginning and a very compassionate beginning, uh, became this ruthless ruler. Remember, he's the guy who sent all these people off the cliff. Uh, how these two guys got along, Amotz and Amatzia. 
So actually, Yeshayahu Navi is nephew to the king, no less than that, and the son of a prophet. So what is he saying in Parak Aleph? Um, it is. There's a drush that if the father's name is mentioned, that he's a nephew. Yeah, it's. Not yet. That drush. Basically, we know that you know also with Chazal that there are many, many, many Nevi'im, and only those Nevi'ot that were needed to the Lord was preserved. We can make way the end of this year. <laughs> Good job. You're a prophet yourself. All right. I'm sorry? That's right. That's right. What is, but what's extraordinary here also is, is that this is a man who is not only a son of a prophet, but he grows up in the royal palace. And when we listen to... Let, let's... Just read the, 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 is a, a bit of this together here, right? Chazon Yishayahu ben Amotz, Asher Chazal al Yudav Yerushalayim, Bimei Uziyahu Yotav, Achazi Chizkiyahu Malchei Yehuda. So that's easy enough. Shimu Shamayim, the Hazini Yaretz, like Moshe Rabbeinu, except in reverse. And this is really, if you're, those of you who want to take a nap during this, uh, I would suggest that right now, if you can remember just that first word, uh, you'll, you can wake up later and we'll be right back there again. The verb shamoa, shim'u. God is, is speaking to, to Yeshayahu and telling the Jewish people, what I really want you to do is in the vernacular, you need to listen up. And we're going to have a lot to say, Amir Tashem, about what listening up means. So, uh, Chazal understood this as a way of, uh, of having the, uh, the, the heavens and earth as witnesses to what God says. Banim gidalti viromamti vehem pashubi. So, there's nothing hidden here. This is a disappointed parent. This is a Kodesh Baruch Hu saying, I raised you, I, the word in Hebrew, that, that in, in the uh, common Hebrew is metapeach iladim, literally to watch them grow fist by fist. So, generation of generation, from Avram Avinu, right, to Harsinai, Vehem Pashubi. Pshia is, is a, a very, very strong verb, uh, which has a sense, carries a deep sense of irresponsibility. And then here comes the metaphor, which we're going to spend a bit talking about tonight as well. Yada shol konehu v'chamor evus ba'alav. Even a dumb ox knows its owner. And a jackass knows where its feeding trough is. Yisrael lo yada. The Jewish people lo yada. It, they, they, it's, it's not even lo hevin. Nothing gets in. Thinking back what we said before in the Adam of, of the Radak. I've sent these Nivim. I'm trying to straighten these people out and get them back to, to their, their heritage. And Yisrael lo yada ami lo hitbonad. So on a Saturday night in 7.31, BC, let's say, okay? Thank you, Barbara, she's smiling at me. Uh, Yeshayahu is out on a Saturday night, 
and he's not looking for falafel, he's looking for listeners, and he's saying, you know, there's, people listen up, We're in a, and they think he's crazy, because like we said, this is the, May, the days of Uziyahu HaMelech, uh, Israel is at the height of its strength, it, they're, they're, it, everything is glorious. And he says, Hoi goi am avon banim Hoi. That's a real Yeshayahu word. Now, the scholars say that Hoi means, is Akkadian, it means Hare. Um, Ibn Ezra says Hoi like, like a Yeshamama. Hoi. <laughs> it's a very heavy sound. Hoi. Right? Goi chote. Right? This, this, this nation that continues... To, to miss the mark. Remember we, when we were learning Sefer Melachim, we made reference to Lachtiyat HaMatara. Am Kevin Avon, this nation that's so heavy with sin, Zerah Mereim Banim Mashchitim, Azvu Et Adonai, Niatsu Et Kedosh Yisrael Nazor The pathos of what it means to be HaKadosh Baruch Hu. HaKadosh Baruch Hu looks out from heavens and he feels like we've really left him behind. Is there a more difficult emotion than to feel abandoned? And the place that an Abim are really trying to stir the Jewish people is to understand that this is a two-way street. There's no king without a nation. What does it mean to be the creator of the universe and to feel like you're completely abandoned by, your, by your, the, the nation that you chose to lead the other people in, in your service. And here's where the parent speaks again. What could be worse? You've suffered so much. When I talk about hidden relevance, this is not hidden anymore. Uh, we can say this here in Yerushalayim today with the depth uh, that the Radak, for instance, couldn't say it with. So much suffering. So much, parentheses, Unnecessary suffering? Korosh lecholi, everybody's head is sore. Every heart is pained. Mikaf regel vadrosh en. En bonatom? I have to. Yeah, I'm going to have to rely on my memory and rely on, on, on my handy tanaf here. But the point here is that there isn't a place in the, in the body that, that isn't beaten up. I'm just going to read just a little bit more and then we'll, we'll get to, to explain some of this. Could you go like a little slower through the English so I could see what the translation Yeah, I can do that. That's a very good idea. Because I can't read it then. Well, this is, this is me in the 21st century, so this is itself. <laughs> <laughs> Don't laugh too loud, Josh. Vinotera batzion. Kisuka vecharem. Kimulua be miksha kiir vinitsura. Not that it's relevant to us directly, but the people who uh, study antiquities find the same expression in the writings of the Assyrian kings when they talk about their uh, Sancheirib's uh, uh, memoirs, or so to speak, his, uh, in the British Museum, you can find that very same verse that he left Jerusalem after he conquered the rest of uh, the north of Israel, 
like a, uh, a little booth uh, in the middle of nowhere. And here's, here's uh, one other metaphor, and we'll, we'll, we'll move on from here. Lulei Adonai Tzvot hotir lanu sarid kim'at had HaKadosh Baruch Hu not left us a little bit, a remnant, kisdom hayinu la'amorad daminu. You resemble, your behavior resembles that in Sodom and Amorah. So, uh, what, is, what does Yeshayahu really want? What is his message? He has two really very provocative mes- messages. Um, one is provocative because nobody's thinking about it, and the other is uh, something that comes as a shock because no one understands what he's talking about, they don't believe anything that he's saying about this. And he famously says, uh, we're, I'm actually starting from the second, I'll go back to the first. Lama li rov zivchecham amara avinoi, savati olo selim vechelev meriim, vedam parim ukfasim vatudim, lo chafatsti. Here's the English nice and clear. The Beis HaMikdosh is thriving. Everybody is showing up. It's, it's working as, as well, if not better, than it days in Shlomo. And here comes this man on a Saturday night while everybody wants to sit and eat their falafel in peace. And he says, you want to know something? I'll tell you something. It's all a waste of time. The Karbanos, what's going on in Beis HaMikdash, is really not what Hashem wants. You, everything there is you, that you think is holy is really profane. The fact that it took until Menashe's time to kill uh, Yeshayahu is in some ways amazing when you imagine what, he, what this would look like in our day and time. Listen to, look at the language, right? Look at it in English. You're, God's saying that you're trampling my, my base my amikdash. Your kabar musaf, your your yantif offerings, everything that you bring, are a burden to me. I can't stand it anymore. I can't tolerate you, and I can't tolerate the way that you're choosing to live Judaism uh, after the fashion that you've decided to do it. When you pray to me, I'm really not interested. Your hands are look at look at the words. Hands are stained with crime, and here's and here's the second message. Rachatsu hizaku hasira oromalechem minegedinechem chidu harea. He wants them to straighten out. And here's when I talk about the hidden relevance. If this doesn't send a chill up your spine, I, I, you know you, you, you must be asleep, and, and I must be asleep. Lindu hete dit the reason that Rabbi Yol ben Nun says that uh, he doesn't like starting Yeshayahu from Perak Aleph is because it gives away the entire Sefer. If we go back to the word Shamoa, what does Yeshayahu really want us to hear? He wants you to hear this. You want to know what a good Jew is? You want to know what a Torah Jew is? You want to know what Yeshayahu's Torah is? That's it. Those words. Take care of the underdog. Take care of the people who are not privileged. Take care of the people who are the orphans, who are the widows, 
and make sure that your legal system actually takes care of people who are being oppressed. I could stop this year. We could go on to say for Yirmiyahu from here. When you talk about hidden relevance, I, walk around the streets now. Look, pick up a, I mean, You have to pick up a newspaper. This is not Torah's Moshe. It's not even Torah's Moshe. Whose Torah is this? Does this ring a bell in anybody's ear? What does this sound like? Taking care of the oppressed, worrying about straggling people, people who are underprivileged, basically doing chesed? Who's the Aviyah chesed? It's Abraham. So, you know, it's, I, hopefully I won't, I, I won't do this again, but it's the first time I've been waiting my entire life to give this year, so it's my <laughs> privilege to say, I think that um, by the time Yeshayahu came around, uh, part of the, what was going on is that Kosh Bochu realized that Torah's Moshe was just not getting people where they needed to, to go to. And when, and when we talk about Yeshayahu, and this is, this is just my invention, my imagination, when we hear uh, the Radak saying that Yeshayahu had tried things first time around and the other Nevi'im had, had had as well and nothing had gotten through, I think that what Yeshayahu's message was, was to bring back Torah Sabra Medinu. That's not to say that Torah Sabra Medinu and Torah Moshe are not the same thing. They're the very same thing, but it's a matter of emphasis and it's a matter of where, where Jews are really supposed to be oriented. Yes? Yeah. Times. Yeah. So not a little. No. But there's all this other stuff around it. Right. And here's Yeshayahu saying, ah. Uh, he's trying to the spotlight. Yes. And, 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 and he'll do this throughout the Sefer, over and over again, time and time again. I'll tell you what's really important. Don't, God doesn't want your sacrifice. He's not interested in your davening. He doesn't interested in, in whether you're shuckling, whether you're wearing a garfu, whether you're, you know, whether you're adopting with women, without women, you know, it doesn't matter what he really cares about, is this. And this is what God really wants us to hear. Two messages. Straighten out your legal system, do chesed. And the second, if you think that the Beis HaMikdash and the Karbanos are doing it, and, and, and that's all God wants. Your Miyahu will pick this up and say, HaRashem HaRibasadeh, he'll say, you know, if you think that the Beis HaMikdash is going to save you, you're, you're delusional. Yeshayahu has got a different slant on that and that he's saying uh, that if you, you have to know the difference between what's tafel and what's ikar. What's the real substance and what's everything that's around it. Not that the other things are not important, but this is really the core of what Yiddishkeit is supposed to be. No, he's uh, if you if you listen if you, he's not listening. Look at the words. Is he not listening because he doesn't want these evil doers' prayers, or because he doesn't care about prayer at all? And it's not that he doesn't care, care about it's really prayer. It's really service in the Beit Hamikdash he's talking about. Maybe because the most chaserai, talking about the korbanot. In, in other words, um, there is, I would say, a fundamental misunderstanding of Torah Moshe. In other words, by uh, uh, people feel by giving all the korbanot, uh, then uh, then that makes them kosher, right? They can do everything they want, you know, like like the uh, like the person who gives a tremendous amount of tzedakah, even though the the money he, he has gotten the money by being uh, you know a slum lord or, or he's gotten you know or by a gambling thing. 
Yes, look at Pasuk Tethav. It's so strong. When you raise your palms, when you raise your hands, I'm not even looking at you. Why? I, I'm not listening to you. Why? People are being harmed. So, uh, I said to you earlier that this is all about Shmiah uh, and listening. I'll just mention some uh, things that I've, I've been reading and things that I suggest that you read or have a look at. Um, the uh, the, uh, the Nazir, one of Rav Cook's students, has an entire essay, uh, it's, it's really a philosophy, if you will, about listening. And he says, you don't have to go farther than Shema Yisrael. Our job is really to listen. And if you think about what it's like having a conversation, trying to have a conversation with people nowadays, is anybody really listening? I could have played the sounds of silence, but uh, I'll save that for another one. Uh, that having been said, what is it? So, what does it mean to really listen? And and what is Yeshayahu up to um, when he brings us all these metaphors? Uh, I said to you earlier that uh, he's a member of royalty, and he speaks uh, in a tongue. As you can see, his his, 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 his the, a lot of the difficulty in deciphering Yeshayahu is his incredible use of the language and his inventive uh, and innovative use of the language which still has people walking around asking, what does that really mean? What is that verb? What's the hoi? Etc. So I'd like to suggest something to you about a metaphor. You won't find this anywhere. It's, I guess I, 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 my imagination has gotten away with me for tonight. But I'd like to suggest that there are four stages or four different parts of being confronted with the metaphor. The first is to listen. If you don't listen to your wife saying, you know, Sometimes I think you're a blockhead, you know, uh, you're, you're going to miss the, the whole thing. The second part, <laughs> that's the best <laughs> one I could come up with right now off the top of my head. I didn't do that part, though. I don't think I ever said that. No, you would never say that. <laughs> so listen, yes, the first part is listening. The second part is to identify the mashal and the nimshal, because a metaphor likens A to B, right? So you have to understand who's the chamor, right? Uh, who's, the, who's the shore? Who's the ehus? And who is the baalim? We have to be able to match up the different parts. So, so far, this is an entirely intellectual uh, pursuit, right? Well, first you have to just pay attention. Uh, the second is you have to begin to, to uh, understand the code and figure it out. And then comes the next part, which if you're really listening in the way the Nazir would like us to listen, and the Balatani would like us to listen in Perak Yudalaf, the 11th Perak of Tanya. What he really wants us to do is to listen to ourselves and apply this to ourselves. So it's not like, well, if somebody says, you know, uh, the Jewish people are, are behaving uh, like a lost herd of sheep, um, step three says, well, I'm one of those sheep, and I'm lost, and I'm supposed to be paying attention to that. And finally... Uh, the fourth stage, which is, I think, wh what the metaphor uh, in Yeshayahu does to us, is that it stirs an emotion. When somebody uses a really particularly strong metaphor, 
Uh, and I'm not going to go search for the first one, lead is like a lead balloon. Bad metaphor. That's a simile. That's a simile, right? Like a lead balloon. Just saying. Lift off. Having way too much fun. Put your wife in the audience, you know, that you're in trouble. <laughs> but the point is that the impact of the metaphor, when you really allow it to touch you and reach you, is it stirs your heart, it makes you think, it shakes you up. And it really makes you look at yourself, and it makes you listen to the message in a very personal way. Uh, when God says, you know, uh, I've lost, I, I'm, I'm like an abandoned person or an abandoned king, I'm out there all alone in the universe. If you think about that metaphor for a moment, and you think about the size of the universe, and how distant that might feel to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, if that doesn't bring you to a sense of tears and a sense of empathy for HaKadosh Baruch Hu, um, I can't imagine what else might. So, on the thread of the emotional aspect of the metaphor, I move you over to what we mentioned earlier, and what we read earlier, because Yeshayahu uh, Anavi uh, has absolutely no trouble with using shock tactics. And so imagine what it's like to be a very from uh, person who goes every morning to come as a base on Mikdash, you know, you're, you're in the mikveh every day, and you're bringing karbonas and all of that, and all of a sudden here's this man showing up on a Motzei Shabbos, and saying to you, well, you know what, You're, the difference between you and a guy who lives in Sodom and Amora is really uh, negligible. So uh, Yeshayahu, uh, if he's, if this is a man who really means business. And I think that when we study the intentionality of the verbs and in, in, in the metaphors that he uses, we... we we start to get behind the hidden relevance to our day. You know, what would it really take? What would it really take in America? What would it really take even here in Yerushalayim for people to really take those two simple things? They're such simple, such Jewish ideas. We don't have carbonates. We have davening. We have a legal system. You know, we have we, people learn halakha all the time. And here's somebody who's coming to say, say to us, you need to you need to do better. You need to do far better. You might be somewhere in the neighborhood. You know, maybe we're not where we were in, in the times of Uziel. Maybe we're worse. I don't know. But having, I mean, the man is here to really shock us. We don't have a bus call, so we have our Ben call. The Ben call speaks in Yiddish. Uh, Hannah's not here, uh, so I'll, um, I'll just translate him for this evening. And Ben Cole wants to know exactly why we need to listen to such depressing stuff. It's like we just finished all these murdering kings in Malach and Beth. Now we're talking that we're like Sodom and Amorah. This is really dark. This is awful. This is sad. Uh, why would anybody come to a shir like this? Why would anybody feel even a slight bit of excitement of giving a shir like this? And the punchline of all of this is, and that's why these extra books are sitting here, starting with the Sefer Habahir, which is a Sefer Kabbalah, looking through Rav Tzadok uh, of Lublin, 
looking through the Balatanya, looking through the writings of Rav Kook, at the end of the day, the other hidden relevance is that we don't know the darkness from the light. I'll read you one short passage from Rav Kook, because only he could put it that way. By the way, uh, just uh, before we move into the light, so the Medrash Tanchuma, just so you understand what it, the metaphor of Kistom Hayinu Lamorad Daminu, the Medrash Tanchuma says, When God starts comparing you to Sodom and Amora, and he's and, and you're uh, things are you're being told that things are really dark. Uh, it means that things are really pretty awful and virtually hopeless, if there is such a thing. So that's why we need Haraf Kook, amongst others, to tell us this idea that in one of the earliest books of Kabbalah, Rav Kook is really just saying it in his own beautiful words. Yotzei min ha-klalazeh, Darkness usually covers the light, Except when you're talking about Orel Yon. Orel Yon is the Neshama, as far as we're concerned. The glorious light of HaKadosh Baruch There's a quality, says Rav Kuk, that the light of HaKadosh Baruch of the Almighty, is impenetrable. We can't appreciate it. If you think back that the Medrash and Bracious, that God took the uh, the sun, the, the ore, the, not the sun, I'm sorry, the, the ore that first came out and he hid it away because uh, it, the, our, the world as it is couldn't tolerate it, couldn't sustain it. Listen to this. Kol davar, this last thing I'll, I'll quote here, I think. Kol davar shekoach eloki ha'elion mofia bo yoter harei utzarich astara yoter gedola but to the end of the day, the message that I'm asking you to take home in your hearts tonight, as we move deeper into, into Yeshayahu, certainly in the beginning, is that, talk about hidden, we don't know light from dark. Because the real light, the God light, the spiritual light, is so bright that the only way it can sustain itself is in the darkness. We live in a very dark world. Um, if, if David Amelech is supposed to be, uh, his, his uh, Mashiach ben David is supposed to come from the streets of Sodom, it's because, it's not just because Sodom is so dark, it's in the darkest parts of the human soul and the darkest parts of human behavior that the intensity of Hashem's bren, his light, is really deepest. Who sees that? We don't want anything to do with that part of our lives or people that we consider to be in that place. Yeshayahu is telling us, Kistom Hayinu Amurad Daminu, really, really upsetting. But at the end of the day, if you follow through with what he really wants, Rachatsu Hisaku, start taking care of the needy, start looking to help out the underdog, flip around your sense of what's good for you and think about what's good in, in what good really means. Everything can change in a moment. So here, Yeshayahu is raising the social bar. So, as we end here, 
and we will end on time, God willing. Amazing. See after the Shemaya. Who is Isaiah's audience? Who is this man speaking to? How many of us you know, with PhDs, MDs, doctorates, and you, you know, if Yeshayahu was sitting here, standing here instead of me, and he was saying all this, would we understand anything he was saying at all? Is he speaking to the citizens of Yerushalayim, for Jews of all time, for all of mankind? So, Barbara. Here it is. Right? What we were saying before. Gemara Megillah Yudalit Amanalit. Kidatanya. We learned in Abraisa. You know, uh, the cab driver who brought us, brought us here tonight is one of those cynical Jerusalem cab drivers who's got a social commentary of anything, uh, about everything. It's not the first time I've been in a cab. I said, you know, from now I'm just calling you the prophet. Okay? So there, there are a gazillion prophets amongst the Jewish people. We just don't know where to find them. And their double is the number of people who were in the Exodus. The Nevi'im that we have in our Tanakh, why are they there? Because their message wasn't for 701 BCE. Their message was for all time, for all mankind. That's the one that needed to be written down. That's Nevi'im Lidorot. That's Yishayahu Ben Amotz. And then Rashi, of the north, as they say in Megillah there, says something brilliantly uh, helpful, as Rashi does so many times to tell, you know, he does it in the Gemara all the time, but when he does it in Navi, it's even more exciting in some ways, where Rashi, just with a twist of a, of, of a term, tells you what's coming. He does foreshadowing, he brings foreshadowing, foreshadowing to another level. He says, Man in, in Why does it, why does it matter that a Navi speaks for, for all generations? What he teaches is Lilmochuva Ohoraha. A Navi comes basically to teach chuva or something that people have never really learned or have never really heard before. So what is chuva and what's chuva in the world of Yeshayahu Ben Amotz? Reconnecting, improving, deepening our connection at any level, at any in every level that we are observant of Torah and mitzvahs. All of that begins with Yeshayahu, with limit, listening to an inner dimension. In Hasidus and in Kabbalah, uh, what we're talking about of that inner dimension is that there is not just a, uh, there's not just a neshama. There's really a, a speaking neshama. Maybe we hear it on Yom Kippur. Um, maybe people confuse it with the conscience or, or something else. But according to the Kabbalists, according uh, to the Tanya, there is this echo of God's voice saying, Shuvu Shuvu Banim Come back. Just do the right thing. I'm not asking for something that's, that's beyond that. Hearing an inner memory of Sinai, that's the otherwise incoherent and inaudible, that voice uh, is otherwise incoherent and inaudible in the din of everyday life. Shimu Shamayim. Dear precious Yishayahu, your words are not lost. We are here to listen, to learn, and to take on the challenge of your majestic prophecies. We hope that Yishayahu will, his spirit will be with us in these coming shurim, 
and we'll have Hatzlacha on every level that we need to reconnect to ourselves, to our society, to Yerushalayim, to the Beis HaMikdash, to the Kaddish Baruch in a way that we can really hope to see Yeshayahu with the other Nevi'im standing at the front of all of those people waiting to see the Binyan Bayit, the HaKadosh Baruch Hu, will hear our Tzimor, and will be glad and welcoming of us. I welcome all the new faces, I welcome you all for being here, and welcome you to Shir Bet, the next week, and Yeshayahu, the week after that, we will be away, just in terms of you planning your calendar. Thank you so much for coming out in the foul weather. Um, Thank you.